This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We want to talk about some music by American composers written in the middle of the 20th century, which makes it sort of old compared to most of us, but sort of young compared to a lot of classical music. And the one thing about American composers in the middle of the 20th century is that they weren't afraid to be themselves. This is exactly the message of today. When you figure out who you are, go for it. And when these composers, George Gershwin and uh, Aaron Copland, the the composers you'll hear in our Young People's Concert, figured out who they were, they went for it. And let's figure out who they were exactly. Um, But before we do that, I'd like you to join me in imagining something. I'd like you to imagine, actually, let's go all the way. Close your eyes. Don't worry. It's just Mandeville Auditorium. Nothing can hurt you here. Close your eyes and imagine an exciting, amazing city. This is not San Diego or a city that you know. This is a city that's a long way away. In fact, the city that I'm imagining right now is Paris. Paris is an extraordinary city. Even today, it's full of light. It's full of activity. It's full of cars and people. It's full of different languages. It's full of people from all over the world. And when you're in Paris, you're in the midst of the world. And imagine yourself right there. And you're new in Paris. You're actually an American in Paris. And you're trying to make sense of this, of this city. And of course, you know, you're being pushed along sidewalks by crowds. You're being hustled and bustled everywhere you go. You think you're going to try to cross the street because the croissant that you want is right across the street. But in fact, a taxi honks at you and you have to stop back. So in the midst of this incredible, exciting, reverberant Coca-Cola bottle of a city, There you are, an explorer. You can open your eyes now, because what I'd like you to do is both listen and look as we play the opening of George Gershwin's wonderful tone poem, American in Paris. Imagine that you're there.
very much. Apparently, this city is an exciting place. And a lot of things are happening. You know, the city really is a big community. All kinds of people living together, people from all over the place, and they interact in all these kind of interesting ways. And the one thing that is true is that an orchestra is the same kind of community. We have people who come playing different kinds of instruments. They also come from all over the world, and they find a place, a home, a musical home together in the context and the, and the, and the place of an orchestra. And so I'd like to kind of reveal a little bit about an orchestra by asking sections to play alone just a little bit. You heard the beginning of the piece, and many of you who know this music know this. It's very famous music at the, at the very beginning. So let's listen to it one section by another. I didn't tell you we were going to do this. There's, a fear, there's fear and trepidation emanating, but don't worry, it'll actually be okay. We're going to take figure two of the piece right at the way at the beginning where almost everybody plays something. And let's just listen to it. Can we listen, first of all, just to the strings? We're just going to play eight bars or something like that. The string section. Let's do that. Uh, right at figure two. Ready? That's great. And so the, the, the strings are the kind of core, the heart of the orchestra. We have violins, two sections of violins, the first violins and the second violins. We have violas, we have cellos, and we have, of course, the king of the string instruments, the contrabasses over there holding down the bass part. And you can hear all of the melody in, that, in what you just heard. And that's often what happens in the string section, is that the melody resides here. As I said, it's kind of the heart of the orchestra. But it's not all of the orchestra. Let's hear... Uh, let's hear the woodwinds alone, the same spot. The woodwinds alone, the same spot at two. It's amazing, right? You heard the similar kind of melody, but you notice how, how colorful it is. So instead of having many of the same kind of instrument, you have relatively few numbers of many, many different kinds of instruments. And so when a composer writes for orchestra, he or she uses the woodwinds often to provide color and relief and accent and vitality to the music. Uh, but we are, let us not forget the brass. We can never forget the brass. We have uh, figure two, right, for the, with, the, with the brass you'll hear some interesting things. Fantastic. And you hear where power comes from, right? The, the brilliance of the sound, the impact of the sound, and a lot of those solo lines, the ones that we associate with Gershwin, come from the brass. Now, let's not forget, actually, the percussion has a sort of boring part here. Where are we going to find you something interesting? Ah, oh, yeah, I know what we'll do. Let's actually play from two. We'll play a little while, a little bit beyond three. Right now, we're going to hear the rhythm section of the orchestra, at least in this particular piece. And here it is, two. <laughs> here we go. Eddie. Ah.
Oh, I love it. I love it. So if you thought, <laughs> yes, absolutely, that's fantastic. If you felt like you were being chased around by taxis, that's the reason you thought that, right? And when I was a kid, I just fell in love with these instruments. I mean, the xylophone and the triangle and the woodblock and the drums and then, of course, the great taxi horn, uh, the instrument that every kid wants to play. Can we do the entire passage, just that little bit now with the whole orchestra, and you can see what happens when you bring a community together, when you have all of these parts that work hand in hand with one another. You know, it's so hard to stop when you get going. It's just absolutely amazing. And that's what the whole community sounds like together. So this is what you have to imagine. You have to imagine young George Gershwin. By the way, his family name was not Gershwin. That's the name he adopted. His father's name was Moisha Gershwitz. He was an immigrant, a Jewish immigrant from the Ukraine, and came to the United States and changed, like so many uh, of his compatriots at the time, changed his name at Ellis Island, uh, and it became Gershwin. And so we have this interesting mixture, even in and of itself, an American in Paris of Ukrainian Jewish descent listening to the sounds of Paris and feeling quite at home there. Now, we're going to go to the end of the piece now. We'll hear the end of American in Paris, or towards the end of the piece. Now... If this is a piece that's influenced by jazz. You can hear jazz and blues all over the place. It's not really a piece of jazz because no one is improvising. People are reading their parts. But Gershwin loved jazz, and he incorporated all of these styles of jazz into his or orchestral music. And one of the things you learn to do if you really like jazz is you learn to snap your fingers. So would you just with me... That's great. Keep it up. And by the way, it looks better if you do this. This is 57. One, two.
Very nice to be here. See, that's just, that's just plain fun. You know, clapping is for chumps. Snap your fingers the next time you're happy. Let's, uh, let's move on in the program. We're about to bring out two music stands to do another piece, a wonderful piece from about the same period of time, a piece by Aaron Copland called Quiet City. This is a piece from 1940. And it's a piece for string orchestra, a trumpet player who was on this side, and an oboe player on this side. So please help me welcome our soloists, Ken Fitzgerald and Carol Rothrock. So as they come down, let me tell you a little bit about this piece and a little bit about Copland. Copland was another of the great mid-American composers, so much responsible for giving us the sound that we think of as Americana, the music we associate with the, with the mid-century American uh, classical sound. And like the Gershwin, which eventually found its way into the soundtrack of a film, American in Paris, with Gene Kelly by the same name, this piece by Aaron Copland was also written as incidental music, actually written at the time as incidental music for a piece, a play by Irwin Shaw called Quiet City. Now, the story of Shaw's play is also the story of an immigrant nation, the United States. It is the story of people who come in from all over the world, and in this particular place, uh, the Jewish people who settled in New York and made their way. Now, the story, the, the protagonist of the play is a, is, a, is a person who wants to become successful in business. And in those days of extreme prejudice and bias, the way he wanted to do that, the way he decided to do that, was to change his name and hide his Jewishness. And he became, he wanted to become the owner of a department store or something like that in the play. And so there is great sadness in this for him because he can't forget his past. He can't forget that as he merges with the mainstream, he also has has his identity. And so the trumpet part, really, is his memory of his brother's trumpet playing, tinged with Jewish melodies uh, from, his, from the childhood of the protagonist. So when you hear Ken playing these things, these echoing parts that you'll hear from the trumpet, imagine that these are not musical lines, but they're memories, they're voices from the past that, again, underline the fact that we come from everywhere and we live together. This is Quiet City.
It's just such beautiful music, and it's so beautifully played. Thank you very, very much for that. It's this gorgeous, still, haunting sound. Now, as we get ready for more Gershwin and the wonderful, the extraordinary Cecil Lytle, who will join us in a second, uh, we talked about uh, American in Paris, but Gershwin's more famous piece most famous, I think you could say, is the piece Rhapsody in Blue that he wrote in the early 1920s. Actually, Gershwin wrote it for the Paul Whiteman Band, a kind of what was called at the time theatrical orchestra, which meant a jazz band with some strings and uh, a banjo and a couple of extra things. But it was basically a jazz band, not an orchestra. And then Ferdy Grofe, the composer of the Grand Canyon Suite, you may know his name, orchestrated the original Whiteman version for jazz band for large symphony orchestra, including banjo. And so we have at the center of an orchestra kind of a jazz band. We have three saxophones. Can, could you guys just stand up just for a second? You can see the sax. This is the, um, the most amazing thing, to have saxophones in the orchestra. You know that life is treating you well when you have three saxophones in the orchestra. Thank you so much. But it's a piano concerto. That means that the piano has the most important soloistic parts, and the orchestra comments on that and supports the piano. And so obviously we can't do this piece, this great piano concerto, without a great pianist. So please help me welcome to the stage the wonderful, the great Cecil Lytle. <laughs> Cecil, thanks. Great. I, su I suggest we just play the piece. Enough talking. Let's listen to the entirety of George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Enjoy it, and if you've got anything to ask us afterwards, we can, we can take this. You can whistle along, exactly as Cecil says. Don't, there, there's no uh, prescription against dancing. If you feel like dancing, let the spirit move you. Thank you. 
Uh, we are at the end of our uh, of the playing portion of this. And by the way, orchestra, fantastic! Thank you so much for being here. Let's hear it for the orchestra. Does anybody have a question for me, for Cecil, for any members of the orchestra, for your neighbor, for your third grade teacher, any, anything, whatever? So does everybody spend a half an hour, an hour a day with a metronome practicing? Is that everybody in the Everyone spends at least three hours a day practicing with a metronome. Or three and a half. No. Yes, you, uh, what you're looking at right now, sir, is, is the accumulated effort of 85 people, each working not just in rehearsals or for concerts, but individually at home and work. And behind all of that are all of the years of training, of practice, of people, of parents taking you to your first lessons. And so you're looking at thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours of commitment to the project. And and, and the metronome never hurts. We have a question. Uh, is it true that violinists have to cut their nails in order to play um, violin? Yes. Yes is the answer. I love these questions. The answer is yes. File your nails. File your nails. On this side. How many instruments are in the symphony? Just a second. Carry the one. Eighty-two and a half. No, it, it, the answer to that question is that it, it, it varies. Some pieces are really big. They use a lot of percussionists or extra brass. And some pieces are smaller. You saw when we did the Copeland piece that just the strings played. So every piece is slightly different. But if you wanted to guess, a number around 80 is a pretty good guess. Thank you. Another question. What are the gold things seen from the rack by the side of the What are the... Oh, this is fantastic. Uh, Chris, you're nearest by. Would you stand up? What's the question? The question is, what are those gold things? Hey, you know, I was kind of wondering that myself. What are those things? <laughs> They're cowbells. And those are bells that I don't think they've ever seen the neck of a cow, but uh, you could hang them around a cow, and that's where they originally came from. They're cowbells. They're tuned. We didn't use them in this. If you want to hear them, you'll have to come to the concert. They're in another piece that we didn't get a chance to hear. What is the biggest instrument in the orchestra? If only I could think. I don't know. Oh, in this particular case, I think you'd have to say the piano, right? That's an interesting instrument in the orchestra. But then the competition starts, right? Because is it the bass, the mighty bass? Or is it the mighty gong? Or the mighty timpani? There are some pretty big instruments. I would count those amongst the biggest instruments. And what is the smallest instrument in the orchestra? Do you have it with you? No, you don't. We have a piccolo that's about this big. And sometimes we are jealous of the piccolo players and that they don't have to carry very much. We have time for a couple of more before we let you go off on your way. Yes, please, sir. Is this song from a movie? Is this song from a movie? That's a fantastic... Uh, 
Well, I can answer the, the, the question. Honestly, the first song, American in Paris, the first piece you heard, did later feature in a movie. So there is a movie called American in Paris. This thing, Rhapsody in Blue, it's in so many different things. It must be in a movie someplace. It's every time I get on an airplane, I hear it. So it's all over the place. It's either in TV shows or movies or something, but for sure the first piece was definitely in a movie. Thank you. That's a great question. And I would really, really like to thank you. First of all, let's thank Cecil for coming and playing so beautifully. <laughs> to my second family, the La Jolla Symphony, thank you very, very much. And to you all for coming to support us. This has been so much fun. Thanks for being here. been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.